appreciate our worship team. They, I've always been told when I get to heaven, I'm going to be able to sing. I don't know if that's true or not. I hope so. Otherwise, you just have to put up with me. But anyway, I, there's something about worship. I don't know what it is. Something about worship that just seems that to lift our spirits from all the craziness going on around us. I know there's going to be a lot of worship in heaven. It's going to be great. Just want to remind you guys, coming up later this month on January 23rd through the 26th, that's a Sunday through Wednesday, we're just going to really set aside some time to do some extra prayer. And over the years, we've done quite a few of these 72 hours of prayer. Sometimes we go literally around the clock. This time we're going to start on Sunday evening from 5 to 6.30 right in here. And then Monday through Wednesday from 8 a.m. to 8 p.m., we're going to have the sanctuary open. You can come and go as you would like. But we're also going to have people, if you feel led, to sign up for an hour to play the piano or to play the guitar. It's just really some soft worship, a time just to love on God. It's not a time to worry about how many people are here, but we're really, everything we do is just an audience of one, and that's God. Matter of fact, my greatest memories of our 72 hours of prayer, I have two great memories. One is uh, about 1.30 in the morning, Kurt Hogan was playing on the piano. There was not a soul here at 1.30 in the morning, which is okay. I was here because I was the staff charge of staying all night. But I sat outside, right outside these doors right here, as Kurt was playing and just worshiping God. There was nobody in here. But he was just singing his heart out to God. And I sat out there with tears coming, coming down my cheek just thinking, that's some of the greatest worship I've ever heard. Because it really wasn't about who was here. And then Joe Lasky, who played the guitar, somebody said, I didn't even know Joe Lasky played the guitar. But he was playing in the middle of the night. I don't know if anybody was here that night or not, but he was up here and he was just loving on God, just playing and just singing to God. And that really is what it's about. And so if you would like to sign up, maybe you're, you're just starting to play the piano. Maybe you only know one song and you want to play it over and over and over for an hour. You can sign up. And so anyway, there's sign-up sheets. As you go out to the right, they're by the office. You can sign up to play for an hour or you can sign up on the top of each hour. We're going to ask somebody to give up and just read a scripture of praise to God and just lead in a word of prayer. There'll be a podium here. And so if you would like to do that, there's a sign-up list as well. So anyway, pray about it, get plugged in, and I'm looking forward to this week that we can really just step back and just focus and refocus on our love for God. So that'll be coming up uh, again the 23rd. So we're going to begin a series on the seven foundational goals for members of our church. One of the things we teach, if you go to the new members class, we give everybody a little piece of paper that has seven kind of foundational uh, truths of our church. Because a lot of people ask, what are we about? What is the foundation of our church? And so Bob Caldwell said, I think we ought to preach that at the beginning of the year just to remind everybody some of these foundational truths of our church. Now, inside of your bulletin today, they're not really sermon notes. It's a sermon picture, all right? And you can get that out and just kind of fill that out as we go along. But foundations are pretty important. Now, I want to go on record as saying I'm not a builder. If you're building a house, I'm not going to be on your top 10,000 people to call to, for help, all right? 
But I do know, I've been around enough to know, foundations are very, very important. Matter of fact, I just Googled it to see how important, I said, how important is a foundation? And this is what Google said. I added some white there, that's my adding on. It says the foundation must be able to withstand both the dead and live loads without buckling or cracking. I don't know what a dead or a live load is. I have no idea what they're talking about. But I know it's got to be important. I do know that the foundation can't crack or buckle. And it says any issues with the foundation can harm the house, or I would say church would be true as well, making it unsafe to live or worship in. A strong and sturdy foundation, therefore, is key to a long-lasting, dependable home, our church. Foundations are really important. And people will come periodically and say, what, what is this church about? What are the foundational roots of this church? And so over the next seven weeks, we're going to be talking about that foundational, those foundational principles that are important to this church. And so I thought I would Google what happens for houses that don't have a good foundation. And these are some of the pictures that came up. All right. I like the one on the bottom. That looks like a really expensive house. How many of you know, I don't care how expensive the house is, how pretty it is from the ground up. Doesn't have a good foundation. It's going to collapse. By the way, that's true of any home, any church. If they do not have a good foundation, it ultimately will collapse. And so we're going to be talking about foundational principles of our church again. And so over the next seven weeks, we're going to be taking a week and looking at each of these seven. Today, I'm just going to kind of overview all seven of them. And so if you have that picture, you can just kind of fill in there and write on that. So... I'm going to take us back a little bit of church history. Back in 1917, this was our very first building for, it used to be First Baptist Church, we were called. And so that's when our church was established, 1917. How many of you have ever been to church in this building? They worshiped here till about 1949, I believe. And so I just kind of got some old cars. By the way, now this building is a, a, a coffee uh, they, they roast coffee. So if you go up there now, somebody bought the property. They actually were going to build it in the exact same building, but they said it was not structurally sound, so they had to tear it down. They put up a brand new building, but they made it to the exact dimensions of the old church, which I thought was kind of cool. And they also took our, our cornerstone. You see that little white uh, plaque there? It's on the column closest to the left. They actually took that off of the old church, and it's on the new, the new building. It says First Baptist Villa Ridge. Kind of cool that they would use that plaque as part of the new building. But I've talked to the owners a couple times, so if you're looking for some good roasted local coffee, can't be any closer than that, all right, just right up the street. But anyway, this is where we began. But even back then, there had to be a foundation. So I, we're going to just kind of give the overview, and then again, over the next seven weeks, we're going to give some more detail. I believe the bedrock foundation of our church, for me, the bedrock foundation of any church should be loving God. I believe that is the most important thing. And if we don't have that, really everything else we have will ultimately crumble. And so over the uh, next week, we're going to be focused specifically on loving God. And we're going to talk about that. The next right above that is the family. I believe the family, other than loving God, your family is the most important thing. 
People say to me, Pastor, I mean, I, I don't have enough time. I, I want to just go on record as saying, I do not ever want you to sacrifice your family for church. People have bragged me, I'm at church five nights a week or six nights a week. If you're at church six nights a week, you're at church too much. You need to be with your family. God established the family before he established the church. And I believe your family is vitally important. Of all the, the years, 43 years I've been pastoring, I've had the privilege of being with a lot of people in the latter days of their life. I've never had one person, never one person has ever told me, Pastor, I wish I would have spent more time at work. I've never had one person. Now, I did have, jokingly, Tracy and Karen Suttles, they were in the 8 o'clock service, and Tracy says, I wish he would have spent more time at work. She was joking. She was joking. And they laughed about it. And Tracy said, yeah, I wish I would have too, to be away from home. But he was joking. But I've never had one person say, Pastor, I wish I would have spent more time at work. You know, without exception, if people could go back, they say to me this one thing, if I could go back and hit the reset button, I would have spent more time with my family. I hope you never, ever have to say, I made that mistake, because I hope that you always keep your family a top priority. And I, I just want you to know, as a church, we believe your family is vitally, vitally important. And then right above that, there's five smaller blocks here. First of all, the block of worship, and we're going to talk about that. You know, I believe most people, when they first try out a church, they come to a worship service. And I believe that's good. I believe worship should be vital. God created this thing for us to come together and worship. And again, I, say, I have people say, Pastor, I, I like to worship out at the lake every week. I like to worship God out at the lake. And I want to go on record as saying you can definitely worship God out at the lake. But God did not design this thing for you to worship by yourself. By the way, when you get to heaven, I just want to go on record as saying, I do not believe God's going to have a special room just for you up in heaven to worship. I think we're all going to worship together. And I believe coming down here and being a part of worship, isn't it kind of fun how God puts us all together even though we're so different? I mean, how many of you 15 years ago thought one day I'm going to be at Villa Ridge and we're going to be worshiping together at Villa Ridge? Probably none of us had that in our 100 to-do list. But God has a sense of humor by having us come together and worship is so exciting and so vibrant to be able to come and to worship together. And then getting a grip on God's word. I believe part of the foundation of any church should be helping its members get a grip of God's word, learning to hold on to the word of God, learning to value the word of God, and, and grow in the word of God. So as, as important as worship is, and it's important, I think every believer ought to be in a small group Bible study, ought to be interacting and growing in the word of God. And then there's the building block of giving. This is one of my favorite. I don't talk about giving hardly at all. Matter of fact, in all my years, probably could count on one hand how many sermons I've had on giving. This is the givingest church ever. I mean, ever. I mean, I cannot even remember the last year we did not exceed budget, and we don't even talk about it. Whenever there's a need that comes up, there's an abundance of people willing to give to help meet a need. This is the givingest church ever. But it's very, very important to understand the joy of giving. And we're going to talk about that. And then there's getting plugged into a ministry. 
I believe God has called every believer to be involved in some kind of ministry. He didn't design you to be a spectator, but a participator. God wants you to plug in, get involved in some kind of ministry, and we're going to talk about that. That's important as well. By the way, I know one statistic I heard that if people just come to the worship service and they don't get plugged into some kind of a small group, 75% of them won't be at your church in six months. Have to get plugged in, have to get connected on a smaller level, and that's really important. And the final building block we're going to look at is being a daily witness. God wants us to share along the journey, and we're going to talk about that as well. So first of all, as we move to 1950, this is our second building, and it's right up Highway M here on your right. If you cross the railroad tracks, it'll be on your right. In 1950... We moved into that building. But how many of you know, even though the building changed, the foundation under it was the same? Still got to have that foundation. The building means nothing above ground if you don't have that solid foundation below the ground. Then in 1992, this building was dedicated. They moved from right up the street on Highway M to here on the corner of M and AT. Is there anybody here that was at this dedication service? Anybody here? All right, right down here. One, we have one person. Okay, over here, Tammy. All right, two. All right, there's about 110 people here. These are, uh, were present and former members, but they came to dedicate this building to the glory of God. But how many of you know, even though you change locations, change buildings, still got to have the same foundation? All right, without the foundation, a church will collapse. I mean, it will collapse if it doesn't have a strong foundation. And this past week, I went out and I took a picture. This is a current picture, a few days old. I did crop in a nice parking lot. Looks good, doesn't it? So I, cropped, uh, and I, I put a couple new cars in there. These are supposed to be newer type cars. And I knew I want to make one confession. As I took the picture, I didn't realize my car was in the picture. And my car on the, the passenger side is all dented up because I hit a deer. Or the deer hit me. I was in the road. I was where I was supposed to be. The deer hit me, totally messed up my car. I didn't realize it. And so see that red car parked over there? That wasn't here. I dubbed it in. I'm confessing. That's not the pastor's car. But anyway, but other than that, this is our building. This is a few days old. But how many of you know that even though the building has changed, even since we moved in in 1992, foundation's still the same. I want to tell you, if you have a strong foundation, a building will last. Got to have that foundation, so vital important. So this morning, we're just going to kind of overview real quick. We're going to, first of all, look at that bedrock foundation of loving God. I, without apology, would say to someone, if you ask me, what is the most important thing? And I know people will say, well, you know, worship is the most important thing. And worship is really important. We're going to do a lot of it in heaven. But I don't think worship is the main thing. I don't, I, you know, people say evangelism, that's the main thing. And evangelism is really important, but I don't think it's the main thing. I don't think God created Adam and Eve to evangelize. First of all, there was nobody to evangelize. And second of all, there was no reason to evangelize when he first made them. I think he made Adam and Eve for a love relationship. I think more than anything in life, if you can experience the love of God, I believe that 
Everything else in the Christian life will overflow from your relationship with God. I remember we had good friends up at Fairview when I, we passed it up in St. Louis, and uh, his name was Mel Crimmins, and Mel took a discipleship class. It was a six-month discipleship class, and Mel said at the beginning, I just want to tell you up front, Professor, I, 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 I can't witness. If this, if this class is about witnessing, I just, I just can't witness. I said, Mel, you're okay. The main part of the class is just spending time every day with God, just learning to love and build a love relationship with God. And so Mel learned to have a daily quiet time, spend time with God, learn to love on God, let God love on him. And about three months into the discipleship class, Mel came to me one day and said, I think I might lose my job. I said, Mel, what's going on? I mean, he was a custodian. I said, what's, what's happening? He said, well, I, I was kind of threatened. I said, why would you be losing your job? He said, it's because I'm sharing Jesus at work. I said, Mel, you told me that you can't witness. You told me that you just can't share Jesus publicly. He said, I just can't help it. Here's what I found, that when you fall in love with God, you can't help but talk about him. How could you not want to talk about a God that loves you so much that he died on the cross so that you and I could have heaven? The more you fall in love with God, Everything really spills out of your relationship with God. You know, show me somebody that's in love with God. I mean, I'm just telling you, they're just going to be doing, I mean, everything comes easy when you're in a love relationship. And so loving God really is the foundation. You say, well, do you have a scripture? You know, here in the book of Matthew, a lawyer came and asked Jesus, what is the great commandment in the law? What he was saying is, what is the main thing in the Word? Boy, what a great question. And what a great person to ask. He's asking God, God, what is the main thing? And Jesus said this, It's to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. The second is like it, he said, to love your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus said, On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. The whole Bible is about two things. It's about a love relationship with God and a love relationship with man. And by the way, you cannot love people unless you love God. And if you fall in love with God, something crazy happens. You all of a sudden begin to love his children. That's crazy. Because we're not always lovable. But you cannot love God without loving his children. I remember when I first committed my life to the Lord, I was 19 years old. I, I grew up in church all my life, but to be honest, I hardly ever wanted to go. How many of you have ever had Sunday-itis growing up? Well, you, got up and say, you just didn't feel like going to church. I never really liked going to church. But when I really committed my life to the Lord, something happened in my heart. All of a sudden, man, I just enjoyed going. Don't know if I like the music, don't remember the message. I just wanted to be there. I remember I was dating a girl, and she said to me, because I always wanted to be at church. Something just changed. I just wanted to be around God's people. And she said, I'm not an ordained nun. I don't want to be there all the time. How many of you know we didn't make it? We didn't make it very far. But you can't love God without loving his children. It just kind of goes with it. That's what John says in 1 John, by the way. If you say you love God, but you don't love your brother, you're a liar. Now, I wouldn't be that harsh. But John says you're really fooling yourself 
if you think you love God, but you don't love his children. So loving God is the main thing. Everything will overflow from a love relationship with God. By the way, the church at at Ephesus is probably the greatest church that's ever existed, in my opinion, or certainly up there. I mean, Ephesus had the greatest leadership ever. I mean, even John the Apostle spent time at Ephesus. Now, the Bible doesn't say, but I believe, because John was there in Ephesus, that, that Mary, the mother of Jesus, was in Ephesus. Because you remember on the cross, Jesus said to his mother, Behold your son. He said to John, Behold your mother. And the Bible says from that hour, John took his mother to live with him. So if John lived in Ephesus, I think Mary lived in in Ephesus. I think Mary attended that church. How cool would it be to have the mother of Jesus in your church? Can you imagine having a question about Jesus and saying, Wait a minute, let me go down to adult four women and let me get Mary. That's better than a concordance. I mean, this church was phenomenal. And Jesus commends it for toiling to the point of exhaustion. They they were not tolerating false teaching. They were doing it for his namesake. I mean, they were hitting it on all cylinders. But yet Jesus said to this church, I just have one thing against you. You've lost your first love. In all of their going, in all of their doing, in all of their just being wore out serving God, they fell out of that honeymoon love. And it was so important to God that Jesus said, if you don't get that one thing right, I'm going to remove your lampstand. Wow. How could he say to this church that was doing everything right? How could he say to this church, if you don't get that one thing right, I'm going to remove your witness? I just want to tell you one of the first things to go is that honeymoon love. And sometimes you can get so busy doing good things that we miss out on the best. And so next week we're going to talk about how important it is to have that love relationship with God. Second of all, the family. I believe without apology, your family is vitally important. I think I say at almost every wedding I perform when I look at the bride and the groom, And how many of you know when you're getting married, you're not going to have any problems? Just so in love. Just so in love. But you look at this couple, and I typically will say to the groom, you're better off in second place if you'll allow God to be first place in your bride's life. And I say to the bride, you're way better off in second place if you'll allow God to be first place in your husband's life. I want to say the family is so important. The family is one of the, again, the foundational principles of our church. And I think our country is under attack, and there are a lot of different definitions of what the family is. But I want to go on record as saying that as a church, one of our foundational uh, principles is the definition of a family, which is with one man and one woman being united together in marriage for life. Now, even though they're teaching other things, I just want to be real. I don't think we can let what the world defines as a family define the church's foundation. And I I have people, we had a gay couple attend several years ago. They, They were coming every week. And one of them had a couple of children. They were involved in the children's ministry. And they came for several months, and they said to me, Pastor, we would like to join the church. And I want to say, 
I am all in favor of anybody attending the service and hearing the love of God. But for them to ask to join, I had a struggle. Because literally, we're looking at two different core values that do not mix. And so I decided I would meet with them, and I asked uh, Chuck Rucker, our chairman of deacons, to meet with us. How many of you know it's good to take the chairman of deacons? Always blame him if something gets out of hand. But Chuck was very gracious, and so we sat down. We sat down in the fellowship hall, and they said to us, you know, we've been to a lot of churches. This is where we would like to join. And I had prayed all week. I said, God, give me something to say because I want to love these two. I want to show them your love, but also I want to be firm on what our foundation is for our church. I don't want to compromise on what we believe about the family because God didn't make Adam and Steve. He didn't make Eve and Sally. God, who made the first uh, wedding couple, he not only made them, he performed the first wedding of Adam and Eve. And so in the middle of the night, I woke up. How many of you ever woke up in the middle of the night and God gave you something that you, you couldn't have thought of yourself? And God just gave me the idea of core values. And it just resonated in my heart. And so as we met and they talked about wanting to join, I said, first of all, I said, I am so glad that you're attending our church. And I said, I can honestly say I have zero condemnation for you. I do not judge you whatever in your lifestyle. One day you'll stand before God. He'll be the judge. I said, I'll even go out and have lunch with you, man. I can hang out with you a little bit. But I said, for you guys to join our church would be going against your core values. Because you believe a definition of the family can be two men, two women joined together in marriage. But I said, one of our core values is the family. And so for you guys to even want to join would not be true to yourself. One of them broke down in tears. The other one got a little bit angry. But I said to him, I said, I'll go out and have lunch with you. I'm not judging you. But again, for you guys to want to join our church would be going against core values. And they never came back to church for a while. One of them did come back, by the way, about a year later. She had got out of the relationship and said that it wasn't right. And she said this, of all the places that we went to church, she said this was the only church that really showed them the love of God. Can I tell you, we can love people. We don't have to agree on everything. I had somebody just a couple weeks ago said, I've got a, I got a gay friend. Would they be welcome here? I said, absolutely. I mean, why would you not want somebody to hear the gospel? I mean, hopefully everybody's welcome here to hear the gospel. But when it comes to joining, we just want to make sure we agree on core values. So family, we're going to take a week and look at the family that's vitally important, and then worship. There's something again about worship that just lifts our spirits. We're going to spend a lot of time in heaven worshiping. As far as I know, there's no preaching in heaven. How many of you are glad for that? God probably knows you endured enough here. Up in heaven, no preaching as far as I know, but a lot of worship. And I love it, by the way, you get into Revelation. As soon as one group begins to praise God, it's everything spontaneous. Everybody goes, I just can't help it. And everybody starts praising God. And everything in heaven's loud. So I hear people say, Pastor, that, that's too loud. 
Get used to it. Everything in heaven's loud, as, I, as I've gone through Revelation. So there'll probably be a course for us Baptists on how to, how to, how to fit in. But worship in heaven is going to be spontaneous. It's going to be God-focused. It's going to be amazing. And I want to get up next to some of those old traditional people in heaven. It's going to be fun. All right. Number four, getting a grasp on God's Word. I believe part of the foundation of every church should be helping believers get a grip on God's Word. By the way, I think that happens more in small group, in discipleship, than it does in worship. Worship is good. Worship is a part of the experience, but every believer needs to be a part of a small group. And it's in that small group Bible study that we interact and we begin to grow spiritually. So getting a grasp on the Word of God. The dictionary defines grasp as to get a hold of mentally, to comprehend, or to understand. And so one of our foundational blocks is to help people get a grasp on the Word of God. That's really, really important. Jesus said in John 8, if you continue in my Word, then you are my disciples indeed. And so a church that's all emotional, but they don't talk about the Bible, they don't get people into the Bible, I think is missing a really vital part. we got to get people to grow in the Word of God. I love how Jesus ended the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 7, and he said this. He says, Therefore, whoever hears these sayings of mine and does them, I will liken him to a wise man who built his house on the what? Can anybody say, that's foundation. I'll tell you how you make your home strong. It's when you're not only a hearer of the word, but you're a doer. You're putting application to your life. He said the family that does that is like the family that's building their house on the rock. And he goes on to say, the rains descended, the floods came, the winds blew and beat on that house, but it did not fall. Why? For it was founded on the rock. See, how do our, how do we, our homes, how are we going to survive all the pollution that the world is spewing to our children? How are we going to survive all the different definitions that are being taught? The only way I know is to build your house on the rock. To be not only a hearer, but a doer of the word. And then he gives the opposite. He says, everyone who hears these sayings of mine and does not do them, does not make application, will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. The rains descended, the floods came, the winds blew and beat on that house, and it fell, and great was its fall. I want to be honest, life is tough. The winds are going to come against your house. The storms are going to blow against your home. And the only way I know to survive is to have your house built on the principles of God's Word. Not Be not only a hearer, but a doer of the Word. It's one thing to sit in church and go, whoopee, man, that's good. Woo, that's good. It's another thing when you wake up on Monday feeling like blah to put God's word into application. Got to apply God's word. We got to be teaching believers how to get a grasp on God's word, how to be discipled. And then there's the block of giving. This is my favorite to talk about, although I don't talk about it much. 
It probably more than any other subject changed my life as a young believer. And uh, people have told me that when it comes to giving, Pastor, I mean, don't, don't talk too much about giving. And, and, and I, I, I want to go on record as saying I believe it's abused a lot by pastors. But I want to say that, again, Bill Stafford, who probably changed my life, influenced my life, I mean, his whole life was just on joy of giving. He said a guy came to him one time and said, Pastor, I'm having a hard time tithing. Would you pray for me? He said, sure, I'll pray for you. He said, God, I pray that you'll reduce this man's salary from 500 a week back to 100 so he'll have no problem giving $10. He said, whoa, I didn't, I didn't. He said, that's what you said. I mean, Bill's got some stories. I love Bill Stafford. I mean, I, I, I've heard giving, kind of twisting arms. I've heard people guilting people. But I've never heard anyone preach on the joy of giving. And it literally changed my life. Malachi 3.10, I used to refer to this as the Baptist National Anthem. If you're familiar, it says, Bring all the tithes into the storehouse that there may be food in my house. And try me now in this, says the Lord of hosts, if I will not open for you the windows of heaven and pour out for you such blessing that there will not be room enough to receive it. The only thing I know in the Bible where God promises to open the windows of heaven, it's in giving. If we really believe that, why would we not want to be in on it? I mean, I want the windows of heaven open. I'm tired of just doing the best I can. I'm tired of relying on Wall Street. I mean, God has an economy that's above this economy. And the only way I know to get in on that, God says, I challenge you. A double dog dare you. I challenge you to try me. If you'll give, I'll open the windows of heaven. I will bless your socks off. What I have found in my life is people that fall in love with God find it easy to give. Because the verse we love to quote more than any other verse is John 3.16. For God so loved the world, he, he gave. Can I just tell you, you're not going to take any of it with you. I've never seen a U-Haul being taken to the cemetery. You're going to leave it all behind. It's all just temporary. God's just given it to us to see if we're faithful in distributing as he wants. Now, when the pastor asks you to give, I would pray about it. But when God lays it on your heart, trust him. And people have said to me, Pastor, you should give, but never expect anything back. I've had a lot of people tell me that. I, I want to give, but I'm not going to expect anything back. Why? Every promise Check it out. Every challenge in the Bible to give, God always turns around and says that if you do, I'll bless your socks off. So why would I? And again, the material blessings is the minimal of his blessings. But why would we not want the windows of heaven? I can't imagine a person here that doesn't want the windows of heaven open and for God to dump and unload on you. It gets quiet when you talk about giving. I get it. And by the way, if you want to take a vacation in January, this would be a good week. Be a real good week. Now, in the New Testament, <laughs> I have a lot of fun. I don't talk about it much because this is the givingest church. I've already said that. This church meets budget. We don't even talk about giving. If there's a need up, it's crazy how many people. This is the givingest church on the planet. 
So it's easy to talk about it because you guys are doing it. You guys are living it. I love how Paul deals with the subject in 2 Corinthians. Uh, the, the church at Corinth promised a year earlier they would give, but then they kind of ba- backed out. A year had gone by, and they hadn't followed through. So Paul's trying to encourage them. He says, he who sows sparingly will reap sparingly. He who sows bountifully will reap bountifully. He speaks in terms that any gardener, any farmer would understand. Can you imagine telling a farmer, don't expect anything back. Even though you're planting all that field, don't expect anything back. Just give and don't expect. No, the law of the harvest is you reap what you sow. You reap later than you sow, but you reap more than you sow. How many of you, when you plant a garden, are expecting a return? You guys are so humble. The humblest group ever. I planted a garden, but I'm not really expecting anything. I do. You're going to get back what you sow, but you're going to get back more than you sow. And that's what he's saying to the church. Then he goes on to say, So let each one give as he purposes in his heart, not grudgingly or of necessity, for God loves a cheerful giver. That word cheerful means hilarious, like a clown in a circus. It's offering time. I didn't think it would ever come. I'm so excited. Pastor, can we take an offering again? I've never had that happen. That's what he's saying. You see, when you understand God's economy, you kind of get excited. You'll get more excited. Let's get growing. God loves it. And someone said to me, I know God loves a cheerful giver, but he'll accept from a grouch. That's true. By the way, the principles work whether you're given cheerfully or you're a grouch. A farmer doesn't have to be praising God when he plants the field. He still gets a, a harvest back. But everywhere the Bible talks about giving, always turns around and says, I will bless your socks off. So why would we not want to get in on God's economy? Crazy. And then he goes on to say this. And God is able to make all grace abound toward you, that you always, having all sufficiency in all things, may have an abundance for every good work. Wow. Kind of sounds like if we can get in on God's economy, again, God's going to open the windows of heaven. And I just want to tell you again, we're not under America's economy. We're under an economy by God. And it really is exciting. All right. Getting plugged into a ministry. The Bible says the manifestation of the Spirit is given to each one for the profit of all. One of the things we're going to talk about, I believe every Christian should be involved in some ministry. It's not just coming together to worship and being on the participating side, but God wants you, I mean, to participate and not be a spectator, all right? So God wants us to get plugged in, not only in the church, but I believe as we go through life, As Jesus said to the sheep in Matthew 25, inasmuch as you did it to one of the least of these, you did it to me. As we go through our journey, being able to give back along the journey in this church is the best. I cannot tell you how many people have met needs out that nobody knows anything about, but people will tell me, Pastor, this individual, this class, I mean, they just stepped up and they blessed our socks off. That's part of the journey is giving back and plugging into some kind of a ministry. And finally, we're going to end on being a daily witness, learning to share as we go through life. And again, I always remember Mel Crimmins. 
And again, people say, I say 99% of people would tell me, I'm just not that good at sharing. But when you fall in love with God, you just cannot help but talk about him. And so again, that bedrock foundation of loving God really is the most important thing in the life of a church. And so over the next seven weeks, we're going to be looking at these seven foundational truths and talking about them. And if you want to pick a week to take a vacation, you might pick giving. Because we're going to have a good time. I'm going to share some stories. I've got some of the greatest stories in the world. But I also want to tell you this. The unlimited possibilities are amazing. I want us to stand together if you're able to stand I'm going to ask the praise team to come up if they're here, and they can play softly. I want to ask you, how's your foundation? How's your home? Is your home built on the rock? Because life is going to be tough. Storms are going to come on all of us. I want my home to stand. I want my church to stand. Maybe you're here today and maybe you just feel a tug in your heart. Maybe you're honestly not sure whether if you were to die today, would you spend an eternity in heaven? Kirk Keller gave a great gospel presentation at Upward yesterday. By the way, Upward, we had 240 children involved in Upward. Isn't that crazy? 240. I got to ref for three hours. It is amazing. I think first, second grade, maybe kindergarten. I love children. Children are amazing. They're very real. So if you've never been involved in Upward, if you can coach our ref, it'll be a, a blast. I appreciate Kurt sharing with everybody in the middle of every game at halftime. He shared a simple gospel presentation. I wouldn't want anybody that's in this room to ever stand before God and say, you didn't realize that your name had to be on the Lamb's Book of Life. If you miss God, you've missed everything. That's why Jesus said, what does it profit a man if you gain the whole world and lose your soul? It doesn't mean anything. So I want to pray just a simple prayer. If you're here today, you're not sure, I hope that you'll pray this from your heart to God. Dear Jesus, thank you for loving me. Thank you for dying on the cross for my sin. I ask you to forgive me. I ask you to come into my life as Lord and Savior. From this day forward, my life belongs to you. Thank you for saving me in Jesus' name. Amen. If you prayed that prayer, I hope you'll share with somebody on your way out. Or if you need someone to pray with you or pray for you, we would love to do that. If you're visiting and God is leading you to plug in here, we encourage you obviously to do that. But I just want you to understand what our foundational principles are here at our church. And we make no apology for it. I want to say that we can love everybody. We want every, everybody is welcome to come to our church. We want people to attend. Let's pray it, and then we're going to close with a song. Again, I appreciate the worship team leading us today. 
Let's pray and then we'll close out with a song. Father, I just speak your peace and blessing upon each one that's here. May your face shine upon each individual and each house. Father, we just pray for the grace and the wisdom to take one day at a time and to live each day for you. And I pray that there wouldn't be one person here or one family represented here that is not building their home on a solid foundation. Father, thank you for a second chance. Thank you for those different opportunities. And may we build our home and our church on the foundation of your love. And it's in Jesus' name we pray, amen.